So I'm going to put all of you on equal footing this morning. How many of you have ever been in a relationship or a friendship? Most of you. That's good. That's good. The rest of you live out in the woods. Welcome to town. Hopefully you'll meet a new friend. How many of you in that relationship or friendship or in one of those have ever had conflict? A couple of you. Maybe some of you. All right, let's let's practice. Y'all, nine o'clock was more awake than you guys, and y'all had like three quarts of more coffee. All right, how many of y'all have had a friendship or a relationship before? Raise your hand. Okay, there we go. Most of you, some of you still are thinking about it. All right. How many of you have ever been in conflict in that relationship or in some relationship? That's good. Some of y'all are still thinking about that too. All right. Conflict naturally happens when there are two people. There's going to come a point where our selfishness wins and we get into a conflict. All right. So conflict is going to happen. So whenever couples come to my office and say, hey, Pastor Chris, we need to talk to you. Usually it's not so because they're happy and everything's going great. It's because they have There you go. That's good. You're getting there. You're getting there. All right. So how does conflict happen? Number one, one of the ways that contact conflict happens is there's a misunderstanding. Now, think of it this way. There's a guy and a guy has about 10 words in a day and a lady has about 10,000 words in a day. And not only can a guy only talk 10 words, he can only hear maybe 10 more. So he's got about 20 words that he's going to hear in a day. And he's got to decipher if he what 20 words he's going to hear. And he's got this lady in his life, and she wants to dispense wisdom at 10,000 words. Sometimes she gets inspired, and she may even have 20,000 words, and a guy's only got 20 words that he's going to hear. So there's going to be a point where if there's a man and a woman in a relationship, friendship, or something, that there's going to come a point where the man may not quite understand the woman, because after 20 words, we're done. All right? So that happens when a man and a woman don't understand each other, and there's a misunderstanding. What happens? All right, one person your way, you get bonus donuts after the end, all right? So conflict will happen. Another way that conflict happens is there's times where we have in a friendship or a relationship or something, there's a difference of goals, there's a difference of opinion. of We want to go in, in some different ways. And so one person wants this, the other person wants this. So again, this idea of a, of a marriage relationship, sometimes, you know, guys... We are surely convinced that it will meet our goals if we have a 75-inch TV. Ladies, not so convinced, right? Because we have different goals. What do, what do ladies want right now? An Instapot? Crackpot? I don't know. What do, you, what do y'all want? All right, I'll go to counseling. I'll, I'll be in counseling later on this week. All right? There's a difference of goals and a difference of where your values and priorities also, there's this time, one of the things whenever couples come in and say, hey, Pastor Chris, we need to talk to you. One of the things, actually, the number one thing that there's a misunderstanding over is because there's a competition over limited resources. In other words, we use the word finances. All right. The number one thing that people fight over is or discuss over or have conflict over is finances. Right. Because that 75 inch TV, if you have a thousand dollars, that 75 inch TV is going to take up a good portion of that thousand dollars. Things are on sale right now. So, I mean, guys, we're going to we're already rationalizing and justifying the 75 inch TV. You're thinking, hey, we've got a thousand dollars. It's on sale at Walmart. It's only going to be seven eighty five. That gives you one hundred eighty five or whatever left. I'm not a mathematician for you to get what you want. And that is great. Thinking on the guy's part, right? Yes, good deal. All right. So you're along with me. When that doesn't quite work out like you think it would, 
Something happens in our relationship called? Awesome. Y'all are awake. All right. The other thing that happens in our relationship is that we are selfish and that we have a tendency to want to get what we want to get. So we would like to think that we've gotten past this idea of being a toddler and maybe we've physically grown and maybe in times we're past that thing. But whenever toddlers have conflict, it's because of someone has taken their toy. Right? So you're in there and you're playing around. You got your little Lincoln log. You got your little stuff going on and someone's playing with it. And another toddler decides that they need that toy more than you do. So they come up and they grab that toy and they toddle off. All right? Because it's theirs. Well, we immediately then begin to decide, hey, how are we going to get that toy back? And we go and choose after it. So there's sinful attitudes and habits that we have because it's our world and everyone else, y'all just get to live in our world. Anyone else have those moments? Not that I ever do. I hear that my children do. Okay? Just kidding. We have sinful habits that lead to conflict. Well, in the midst of conflict, there are several different ways that we can deal with it. The first way is escape from it. Now, we're not going to see a raising of hands, but all of you punch each other when you know that, hey, when you're in conflict with someone, that person that escapes from it, they escape. They go to the garage, they go to the craft room, they go shopping, they go wherever that they need to go. Because when conflict gets good enough, those that don't want to deal with conflict escape. All right? So we got the escapers. All the husbands and wives are looking at each other, so already I know who escapes and who doesn't. All right? Now, the other one is not just escape, and usually we have the opposites attract, right? So you have the escapee, and then you have the attacker. All right, the attacker is the one that's like, hey, we got conflict, we got an issue, we got to solve it, let's get it done, we got dinner tonight, I don't want to sit down to dinner and us have conflict, because everybody's going to know that we've got conflict. And so you got this going on. So the escaper is over there, they've got their head in the sand, because they don't want to deal with it, and the attacker is over there digging the hole around them to help them see that there's conflict, because they want to deal with it. Right? And so those are the ways that we deal with it in a healthy way. The healthy way for us to deal with it is for the attacker and the escapee maybe to set a time, let's say 5 o'clock, whatever, let's sit down and let's pursue peace. How can we move from a 75-inch TV to a 55-inch TV and I can have the mega super Instapot? All right? Now, you know what I mean? So you kind of find compromise. You find a middle ground. Conflict is going to happen. Where there's more than one person, what's going to happen? All right, cool. We're all on equal ground. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And here Jesus is talking to us, as we've been thinking about over the last few weeks, he's been talking to us, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And so the first four of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 have to do with our vertical relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, has to do with this. And then the next four, which we're on now, the next four have to do with our relationships out here. Because this relationship... The vertical relationship impacts these relationships, and these relationships impact this relationship. There's a correlation, and we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers. I'll stop right there. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, peace isn't, peace, seeking peace, isn't necessarily the absence of conflict. Now, that's what we tend to think, is that once we have peace, there's an absence of conflict. But that isn't necessarily true. As a matter of fact, this word really means that you would experience all the good that God has for you. So whenever someone says, peace to you, or in the old days, they would say, shalom, as a blessing to you, they were saying, not that you would have the absence of conflict, 
but may you experience, may you be immersed in, may you jump into and experience all the goodness that God has for you. So it's an interesting concept for us to grasp is that peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's for us to experience all the goodness that God has for us. In other words, experience all of who God is. Now, because I know that you like things made simple like me, I've got five G's of peacemaking. Everybody say five G's. G's. A, B, C, D, E, F. Good. Y'all are so good this morning. So the five G's, the first G of peacemaking is the gospel. Because again, the very first thing about our relationship with here has to do with here. That because of the good news, because of the gospel, we have a right relationship with Jesus. And because of that right relationship, whatever the circumstances of life are going around, our foundation is found on Jesus Christ and nothing less. And so life can go on, life can actually crash, but because we have found Jesus, we have been made, we have had made peace with him through what he did on the cross, we can have this solid foundation, the gospel, peace that is made to us through Jesus. Because we need to find peace, right, in three different ways. The first way is we need to find peace with God. Then we also need to find peace with other people. And then we need to find peace within ourselves. For the first thing about the G's of peacemaking, the very first thing is the gospel, because that sets the foundation for the next thing, because here impacts here. So the second G that I want you to get after the gospel is that the second thing we should do is that we should glorify God. Now, one of the things that we have a tendency to say, and I know what we're saying, but I don't know that that's really what we mean, is when we say when we come in here on Sunday at 1030 or Sunday at 915, we come in here to do what? To worship. You ever said that? Hey, I'm going to go to worship. That's actually not right. Okay, I want you to rethink this, is that your worship is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, this is a moment of worship. This is a moment of adoration. This is a moment of concentrating and thinking about God. But in the moment that you go to lunch here in a little bit, wherever you're going to go, that's actually an opportunity to worship. That as you eat, as you serve your server, as you do whatever else you're going to do today, that's an act of worship. When you go to school this week, that's an act of of worship. When you go to work this week, those are acts of worship. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, in everything we do, right, in everything you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. So every single thing that we do is an act of worship. But that should reframe our lives. That should reframe how we think about things. That is now, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, everything about my life, my work, my play, my free time, all that different stuff is an act of worship. And so in our peacemaking, the very first thing that is we have been made, we have made peace with God through Jesus Christ because of that. Now we're about bringing glory to God in our relationships here. And when glory to God is not happening out here, then there's a struggle, there's a strife. And so we need to seek and find peace. How can I please and honor God in this situation? That's the question we're asking. How can I please and honor God in this situation and bring glory to him? Now the second or the third G that I want you to get, and it's, this is one, it's called get the log out of my eye. Now that's, that's a long G, right? So sometimes as a pastor you got to make things work and so it just works, all right? So you got it, you got a G. So get the log out of my eye. And, and so one of the things we have to get is when we 
are doing conflict, sometimes we have to realize that we are selfish, and so we kind of have to, to draw the circle around ourselves, and, and that as we begin to talk to people and think about the conflict that we're dealing with, many times we have a big old log in our own eyes. So think about it this way. I've got a little second here. Can you hold this for me? I know that's going to tie your hands up, but it'll be okay. All right. Now imagine going up to someone and saying, hey, listen, you've got a speck in your eye that I want to get out. And you come up with this and you're like, let me help you. Okay. Now that's pretty ridiculous, right? Now that is, that is the picture. Thank you. You did so good. And so that is the picture that actually Jesus has for us is it's the ridiculousness of is that so many times we pass judgment on other people. And we come in and we say, hey, let me fix the itty-bitty details of your life when we have a log hanging out of our own eye. And, and the ridiculousness of this is that listen, the intimacy that it takes to get the speck out of someone's eye, we can't even get close enough to do the work that's necessary to get the log out of our own eye. So, again, as couples come in, one of the things, sometimes couples come in and it's not a couple, it's one or the other. And they say, hey, Pastor Chris, we need to work on our marriage, but so-and-so doesn't want to come in and work on it. I'm like, hey, well, let's do this. Let's get the log out of our own eye, and let's just draw a circle right here. Let's draw a circle right here, because this is where we need to do work. Because if we can do work here, if you can allow God to work in you, and you draw the circle and allow him to, to work on what's going on inside of you, then as you become healthier, as you become more who like God wants you to be, that's going to impact also your marriage relationship. And your mate is going to see change and all that, and hopefully that will bring some peace to that relationship. But here's one of the things, too, about a toddler is there's this tendency if you have your little Lincoln log and you're playing with it in a toddler room and the toddler comes up and says, hey, I want that, and they take it and they toddle off. Right? Have you ever seen this? Ever done it? And then what happens? The toddler who has his, had its toy turn, taken away, what do they do? They scream. They follow the other toddler because their toy has been taken, their rights have been taken away, and so they toddle and they go to it, and the very next thing is they pop them on the head, they bite them, they do whatever those things. And it sounds crazy, but we do this, okay? And so there's been times where you've had your rights, you've had your toys taken away, and someone toddled off, and you're like, I'm going to get them back. I know it doesn't happen here, but we've thought that, right? That someone takes your stuff and they go away and they go and play with it. And you're like, you can't play with my stuff. And so we go and we bite them. We do whatever we can do and inflict pain and hurt on them. To so not, a, not more than the pain that they inflicted on us, but at least the amount of pain that they've inflicted on us. And we're going to take our toys and we're going to go back over here. And then we come and we sit and we're like, eh. and it looks ridiculous. Just as ridiculous as we say, get the log out of your own eye before you can get the speck out. Because somewhere along the way that we think that we have these rights and someone has taken them and we want them back and we're going to inflict pain. And so then here this, this conflict just deepens and continues to grow to get the log out. How can I show Jesus' work in me? Get the log out of your own eye. Because the tendency is the things that we see, the specks that we see in other people's lives that they need to work on, is a reflection of the log sticking out of our own self. And that we see a glimmer of what they're dealing with because we know that deep within inside that's actually our issue and we own it. And we don't own it. 
and we're upset. Draw a circle around you. The next thing is to, to gently restore. How do I help others to see their part in this little conflict? In, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it's a, it's a great image of, um, of us and how we're moving along and doing life and, and how we as doing community together can, can gently restore people. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... Now, this is this idea of that we're going along and we're doing life and you're driving along the highway and all of a sudden there's something that kind of comes into your blind spot and kind of catches you off guard. Have you ever had that happen? When you're going and you're kind of doing life, you're driving, and all of a sudden you don't even see the little yellow light that someone's coming, and it kind of just passes you and you just kind of caught off guard. And so here's someone like us. We're doing life. We're going about and we're pursuing Jesus. We're doing things, and all of a sudden just something just jumps out and catches us. How many of you have ever been scared before? All right, five of you. That's good. So you were caught by surprise. And in that moment, it catches you off guard. And so this is this passage. You're walking around, doing life, and then something jumps out and catches you by surprise, and you trip and you fall in to sin. All right? Those of you who are living by the Spirit should then come alongside and restore this person gently. Now, again, our natural tendency is when someone trips and falls, we go, <laughs> you've been in the cafeteria, someone's dropped a tray. What do immediately people do? Good job, genius. Good job. And you're like, oh, you're clapping, but you're like, oh, thank the Lord, it's not me. Right? right? And so this, they're caught. There's something happened, they're tripped, all right? And so instead of what he says is to then gently restore. Now, we live in kind of the antique capital of the world, right? And so whenever an antique needs to be put back together, what do they do to it? Restore it. That's good. All right. And so they restore it. Why? To be used again, to be put back to use. And so here's the interesting thing is that as we're going along in life, there's going to be moments for all of us that we're going to trip and we're going to be caught. We're going to be surprised by something and we're going to fall. And what a biblical friend does, what a true friend does, comes alongside and doesn't go, how did you get down in there? Good job. Instead of doing that, they actually pull you up and they gently restore you. In other words, they come alongside and say, listen, I love you. I'm sorry that you were caught by surprise, which usually means we're walking alone. Walk with me for a little bit because God has a desire to restore you and bring you back to the place so that you can be in the place where you can be exactly used in the way that God wants to use you. So that there's those things in life that have caught us by surprise and we have a natural tendency to people judge us. And so then we do this and we think that and we hold God here when all the time whenever true friends come alongside and they walk with us and they say, listen, God wants to restore you to the proper use that he has for you. To be gently restored. What does that look like for us? And then finally, the last G is after gently being restored is to go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate God's forgiveness? Think about it this way. So if you've ever been in a, in a relationship or a friendship and someone's hurt you and there's a tendency sometimes that if the, the longer you do or the deeper the friendship or the deeper the relationship, when someone offends you or hurts your rights, that it, that it hurts even deeper. And it's a deeper thing. And so imagine going to someone and saying, hey, listen, I forgive you, but you can never call me. You can never talk to me. If you see me at a church or you see me something like that, just, just walk by me. I, I forgive you. I don't want anything to do with you, but I forgive you. Does that sound like forgiveness? No, all right? 
Think about it, though. We practice that all the time. What God's forgiveness is, how he wants us to practice it, is this. is hey, I forgive you. And not only do I forgive you, I, w- I invite you to sit down at my dinner table with me. And I'm going to open up the blinds. And so that anybody that walks by my house sees that those who had greatly offended you, not only have you offered forgiveness, but now they get to sit at your table and to offer your food and to have fellowship with them. So that everybody that walks by, not only do they see that forgiveness has happened, but also a reconciliation of that relationship has happened. That's the power of what it means for us to move from forgiveness to being restored to reconciliation. And listen, I understand that some of us have been hurt deeply, but what does it look like for us to to be restored, to offer forgiveness and to be reconciled? As a matter of fact, the second part of this passage says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, what? For they will be called the children of God. In other words, the very most thing that makes us look, I know that's not great English, the thing that makes us more like God than anything else that character, the DNA of God that comes out is this, is that we are peacemakers, that we are ones that make peace, that we offer forgiveness, we offer restoration, we offer reconciliation, because listen, we're going to do life and people are going to offend us and they're going to take things from us and they're going to hurt us deeply. But in those moments when we offer peace, that is when we are most like God and we sit down and we say, listen, you've hurt me, but I'm going to offer forgiveness. and I want to sit down at the table with you and continue to do life with you. As a matter of fact, let's open up the blinds and let people see. Now, listen, that's not easy. Think about you. Think about me. Think about all of our offenses against God the Father. Think about all our our things that are offensive to the cross. And he says, I've made peace with you. And he draws us in. And he says, I forgive you. I've restored you. I've brought you back to the purpose, actually more fulfilling even the purpose of what God has for you. Would you sit down and would you sup with me? That in those moments we are more and look more like God and act more like our Father than in any other way. May we be peacemakers. My question for us this morning is, one, have you made peace with Jesus? Have you made peace with God through Jesus? Have you said yes to what he did on the cross? That's the first way to receive peace. Then also the other part. Through this, have you then made peace? Or there's some people in your life that you need to make peace with. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that, hey, if you come into a place like this to offer your offering of worship, whatever you're going to give, that if you come and in that moment you recognize that you have offense against someone else or someone has an offense against you, seek them out so that you can truly have freedom to worship. And the other place is peace with inside of you, that there's those Listen, you know that you have peace with God. You know that you, as best you know, that you have peace with other people. Is that inside of you that God's stirring something up and you're feeling like, hey, there's, there's a sense of not peace? What is that? That's a moment for you to kind of step back and say, God, what are you wanting to do in me? When you don't sense that peace that passes understanding in that moment, begin to say, hey, God, what are you wanting to do? How are you wanting to work in me? That's his way of kind of getting our attention. Do you have peace with Jesus? It's doing what he needs to be doing in you. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your peace. It costs you greatly. It costs you everything. Father, you could have taken your toys and, and run. But you pursued us and pursued peace with us. So, Father, I thank you for that. Father, I th- there are those in this room that need that this morning. I pray that they would seek that out with you. Father, that you would speak deep to, deep to their hearts and their souls and their minds this morning. Father, those of us in this room where we need to seek reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness with each other, may we seek that out. May we pursue that today, this week, with others that we know, our family and friends. Maybe even been five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, and there's been this just this gnawing at our soul that a relationship is not right, that we need to reconcile it. Father, may we get that right. And Father, maybe even in the, the deep recesses of our heart and soul, you've kind of disturbed our peace a little bit. And that Father, you're wanting us to to inspect that and, and ask the questions of why and, and dig deep into that, Father, that that maybe you're wanting to do some transformation, some deep work in our heart and our soul. Father, I pray that we would be open to that, that we would seek out what is that that you're wanting to do. For our desire is to bring you glory, to bring you honor, and to worship you in all the areas of our life. It's in your Son's name that we pray.